you know. I'm right. A podcast that uncovers the origin stories of some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, and so much more. Nick Durst here along with Joe Calabrese and Joe. So many times here we get these guests on and you and him, the Yankee fans, you gang up on me. I'm finally bringing a Mets fan on here with me and he is uh, a big wrestling fan as well. So we'll divulge into that a little bit. But why don't you introduce everybody to our great guest with us here on this episode? Huge fantasy sports guy. Does his research. One of the best in the business. Somebody that we have the privilege of knowing and we're excited to have him on. Uh, Sirius XM fantasy host, Justin Fensterman. Justin, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Nick and Joe, I'm so great and honored to be on with you guys. I've been watching your episodes, if you know I'm right, and I'll tell you this, you guys are doing a great job. You guys have a lot of fans, and I'm just so honored that you guys asked me to be part of it. Appreciate that, Justin. So for you, you're a New Yorker guy, Mets fan, Jets fan, Knicks fan. I'm assuming you're an Islanders fan. Yep. So how has it been being tortured here your whole life and saying nothing but losing? It- If anything, it made me a very unbiased sports fan and covering sports on the national level, it's made it easier to do because for the most of my life, my teams have failed me. It's weird to think, especially for the Knicks, that for the first 13, 14 years of my life, they made the playoffs every year. They made the second round of the playoffs most of the year. Now, this past year was the first time they made the second round since 2000 when I was third or since 2013, rather. And before that, it was 2000. So it's very few and far between now. So how does it feel to be tortured? It's just something I've gotten used to over my lifetime. And it's funny because I tell everybody that the bit with me is that as big of a sports fan as I've always been my entire life, since I've been born in 1987, I have not seen any of my professional New York sports teams win a championship. I don't know what it feels like when ESPN is flashing, get the ring, get the copy of the champion's guide, get the poster, get the video, get the DVD. I've never had that feeling before. And I yearn for it so much. Well, as a Yankees fan, at least I've had that feeling. Um, But the Knicks do have some momentum. Uh, A bunch of the other teams in the city have some momentum and and some good players. So uh, we'll monitor that moving forward. I can't with these next. Well, they're, they're in the process of turning the corner a little bit. They have a lot of great talent. Brunson is a legitimate top 20, 25-ish player. But uh, but I always tell you, Joe, if they have Julius Randle and RJ Barrett on the same roster, they're not going anywhere. Right, that's what I say. I say they both could be the, the third best player on a title team. They can't be the second best player. So one of them ultimately is going to have to go. Uh, Fenstey, I want to ask you a question about the Jets here because they are – uh, I believe they still have the longest playoff drought of all the teams in the NFL. I think it's at 12 years now. But with Aaron Rodgers here, assuming he plays at least one to two seasons and this doesn't end up how like Brett Favre did, uh, I do think that they can make some noise. What do you think about that? I think they can make the playoffs. I think that at this point, they're looking at a record slightly above 500. I see right. nine and eight this right. year. But when Aaron Rodgers was finally dealt to the Jets, a lot of my friends were like, Super Bowl, here we come. Let's relax, all right? Let's pump the brakes. Let's make the playoffs first, okay? Lower the expectations because they've got an awesome defense. And the offense, and like you were saying, Joe, the Aaron Rodgers, he's getting old. He has to be able to hold up. They don't have the best protection around him when it comes to an offensive line. That's going to be problematic. 
The good thing is with the way the Jets are running their offense, it's going to be a lot of quick passes and a lot of running. But the big question is besides Brees Hall's knee, can Aaron Rodgers make it last? And I think that he'll still be able to throw the long ball when he needs to. But you're going to see if you're a Jets fan, don't expect any crazy, huge 90-yard plays outside of once in a blue moon. It's going to be a lot of short passing. And that's really what they're looking at. So for me as a Jets fan, I just want to see them back in the postseason. And now having the extra team in the AFC making it, it allows there to be more of an opportunity. So their defense is very set from what we saw last year. That offense has to match it, though. I yeah, wish I you guys the best of luck with, with your Jets this season. Sorry, Joe. But I just I, – I, I see it blowing up somehow in, in December. It always does. And I'm personally really looking forward to seeing Aaron Rodgers on the Vikings next season. I think he's going to be fantastic there back in the NFC North. Following the trend just like that, Brett Favre. Wait till you guys get Jordan Love. He's going to be fantastic. (laughs) Loves, loves making that Is is Vinny Testaverde still available? Can we bring him back? Can we bring (laughs) back Chad Pennington's noodle arm, please? Not Mark Sanchez. If Chad Pennington never got her, what could have been? I know, and if he the smartest players to ever play the game, I agree with that. It's just he couldn't throw the ball successfully more than twenty yards. That's the problem. Such a shame. I think the Jets season will mimic the Giants season last year. I think they're competitive. I think they have a good room. I think they have enough talent to get back in the playoffs again. Super Bowl. I think you pump the brakes, but I think if they have a good season here, I think the season two following, uh, depending on what Rodgers wants to do here, and and I do think he's going to, I think, be here at least two years. So, fingers crossed. You know, we gotta slow to go down with the Super games. Bowl hype, though. Okay, right. it's just not gonna happen. How about a winning record so. first? Start yes. There. Yeah, That's I think I think nine or ten wins is and a lot of competitive games and competitive playoff games. I, I think you can get that this season very easily. Agreed. So you attended American University, right? You studied broadcast journalism. Now I know a lot of people who tend to leave the the New York area or go elsewhere to American. Usually they're studying something related to political sciences, right? They want to get into politics and work in the government. Uh, I have a friend uh, who I grew up with, went to high school with. He works for the DA, so that's what he went to America for. But you went for broadcast journalism, right? So what would influence your decision to do that? And how'd you stay active on campus? Like, how'd you do with regard to internships and just keeping yourself active? Well, I've wanted to be in sports broadcasting my entire life. I knew from a very young age, at the age of five, that I was not going to be the professional NBA player that I had hoped for. It's just, I just felt it. I knew it. You can always work at it and and improve your game. But I dealt with that very young. And because of that, I developed a love for what Marv Albert, Mike Breen was doing on the air. I love play-by-play when I'd be hanging out with my friends and they'd be playing video games like any of the sports games or even GoldenEye. Rather than playing the games with them, I like to be the guy that would watch them and do the play-by-play of them playing video games. My father, who I watched a ton of sports with on a nightly basis, he would turn off the volume and have me do the play-by-play. Did it when we were watching together, when his friends were there, and it was a lot of fun. And I always had an interest in doing play-by-play from a very young age. And because of that, I wanted to be a sports broadcaster and that never shifted. I think a lot of people thought 
that as I got older, I would develop other interests. And I really didn't. And because of that, my one regret being that I wasn't more active or proactive about it in high school, where you can join those competitions to see the Mr. Cheese, it's broadcaster, young broadcaster, CBS was holding. I never did any of that. So when I got to college, it was a no brainer majoring in broadcast journalism. It's funny because my roommate was president of in sophomore year, you mentioned political political science and everything. I mean, I was friends with people who were obsessed with politics. My roommate was president of college Republicans back in the 2000s, but I didn't give a damn about politics. That's the thing with me. And so I really had a big single track of wanting to be a sports broadcaster. And by the time I hit junior year, where a lot of my friends were going abroad, I thought about going to Australia for a semester, but then something hit me while I was applying for going abroad that I need to start getting out there. I need to start getting my hands dirty. And so instead of going abroad, I decided to start interning. And between summer after my sophomore year of college and the second semester of my senior year, I had five internships, guys, five. I worked for News 12 Long Island where I was cutting highlights that were going directly to air. And that just made me so pumped because my work was literally being aired on the air. My parents could see it. Following that, I went back down to Washington for the summer because originally I'm from Oyster Bay on Long Island, so lived up in New York. Then I went back down where American was in Washington, D.C., and I interned at NBC Sports down there for their sports department. I also then had an XM satellite internship, which I will talk about that a little bit more in depth a little bit later on. And then I went back up to New York to intern for Nickelodeon. And I was a Nickelodeon kid in the 90s. Oh, every show. Dugs, Rugrats. If you follow me on Instagram, I post a lot of 90s nostalgia stuff. And a lot of it is Nickelodeon based. I couldn't get enough of it. And I thought it was going to be the best internship in the world. Unfortunately, I spent more time writing my basketball blog than actually doing anything productive there. So I didn't get to do too much. But you learn. You still get it on the resume. And then I went back down. And my final internship in DC was at Fox Sports. So I did five internships in college. And then also on campus, junior and senior year, I was part of the American University Television Network. I was on a sports show called Sports Zone, where I was a panelist. And it gave me great experience because I was behind, I was in front of a camera. I had the lights on, the heat lights and everything. So I got used to being in front of the camera from doing that. And I also got the opportunity to do play-by-play -play for American University Athletics my junior and senior year. They had deals with CSTV and All Access. And so because of that, they needed people to do the broadcasting and they let students do it. And American University is still Division I athletics, especially in basketball. So I actually, and you see from the banners right there, I was there to witness in 2008 and I got to broadcast play-by-play for the American University Eagles men's basketball team. I did women's too, but I got to broadcast during their first ever run to the NCAA tournament. They never made the NCAA tournament winning the Patriot League. And then junior year, I got to broadcast Patriot League quarterfinals, did play-by-play -play for the semifinals. ESPN takes over the conference finals as they always do, even with the low mid-majors. And not only did I do basketball, I did volleyball, which I loved field hockey, women's soccer, and then men's and women's basketball. So junior and senior year, I did so much on campus to try to just learn how to be a broadcaster.
You did a lot. You were the good luck charm. Maybe the Knicks chicken spinner <laughs> putting you on when Mike Breen is doing a national game because any need all the good mojo you can get. So was it tough for you to say, I'm going to stay in Washington, D.C.? I obviously know it's because of the job situation, but that's, it's a major move, leaving, leaving home for good. And how much do you or have you missed the food in New York? Of course, your family as well. And when the Knicks or Islanders or Mets come to town, do you go watch them? And last part of this whole DC question here is, I know you have a family, so it might be tough, but could you envision yourself if the opportunity presented itself, moving you and the whole family for some sort of job somewhere else that may be an offer too good to turn down? If, and I'll address that part of it first. If the opportunity is really that great, then that's something I can discuss with my wife about. But this has to be an all-time opportunity. So I'm hoping to stay in this area. I've really grown to love the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, especially since I moved to Maryland. I used to live right at the end of George Washington University's campus, especially after college too. So I've been in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area for most of the year since 2005. When my teams would come down, especially at the old RFK before Nationals Park was built, I used to go and watch the Mets there. Even during 2015, when the Mets started getting hot in August, there was a series I remember, I think it might have even been in September, where they swept the Nationals down in D.C. I was there for two of those three games. There was an awesome pitcher's duel between Strasburg and DeGrom, and then Cespedes hit a two-run home run in the eighth inning. And we were all sitting there. There were more Mets fans than Nationals fans. We were all doing the Cespedes dance to his song. And guys, the thing is with me, I've been to two winning Mets World Series games. I got to be unfortunate for me. I went to game three of 2000 during the Subway Series, which the Mets won that game, the only game they won that series. Then 15 years later, I went to game three, of the 2015 World Series where they won that game as well. So I actually, and I have the ticket stubs, been to two winning Mets World Series games, but then unfortunately they lost both of those series. So do I see myself potentially going back to New York? I really don't, but if the opportunity really presented itself, of course I'd be open to doing it. Granted that it was a great opportunity. Do I miss the New York food? Absolutely. When Before even going to see my parents, I go to my favorite pizza spot, Mario's in Oyster Bay. Just so good. Get myself a buffalo chicken slice where they've got the big pieces of buffalo chicken. Not the little dinky ones they spray on here in D.C. and Maryland, but the big chunks of chicken on those slices and even a ziti slice as well. So I always make sure if I'm in New York doing coverage for an event or if I'm going home, that's always the first stop, my favorite pizza spot. So I do miss the food in New York in that regard. So yeah, I mean, I love being in this area, the DC, Maryland, Virginia area. And after college, I really didn't have a choice because unfortunately, before I graduated in May of 2009, in 2008, late in 2008, the market crashed. The economy was at its worst point since the Great Depression. And it really hit the broadcast industry hard. People at high levels, broadcasters at high levels were getting fired and going local. And I sent my resume tape, which was average, a little bit above average. I sent it everywhere. I sent it to Michigan, Mississippi, all over the country. And I was still in a relationship at the time with my now wife at the time, girlfriend. We've been together forever. Tana Hurst, she sticks with me after all this time. Kudos to her. But 
you know, even that, you know, she was still willing to support me if I, even if we had to do a little bit of long distance. I applied for jobs at SNY in New York, more behind the scenes. So I was applying everywhere, but I wasn't really getting any bites. And then luckily at Sirius XM, so now XM and Sirius are merged. When I interned for XM, they weren't merged just yet. And that's where actually I fell in love with talk show hosting because my whole career, I thought I was going to be play-by-play -play guy starting from high school, moving up. But after that internship, I felt like with talk show hosting, you really get to have that interpersonal relationship with the audience. And I love talking to people. I love being able to entertain people. And while anchoring is all scripted, play-by-play, -play, you got to stick to the game. Talk show hosting has that looseness and you're able to develop that tree of topics in a show and just to have fun and talk with people and get to know people, get to know your audience. I really bought into that. So XM, Sirius XM at the time had a part-time update anchor opening. I didn't have any experience being an update anchor. So I applied for the job and luckily my internship manager saw me apply for that job Somehow he got, he was given my tape and everything else. He gave it to the sports department and the person who hired me, who's still at Sirius XM running things in DC, who I still have a very close relationship with. He said, look, you don't have any experience being an update anchor. I can't give you this job. You can work towards it. But what I can offer you is either being a tape operator, going to the sports newsroom, working there part-time. That's all Sirius XM sports had at the time, or I can make you a board operator in which you'll be in studio running the audio board. Instantly, I took the board operator job because I wanted to start learning and getting coached from these hosts and developing a rapport with them so that I can learn really how to be a great broadcaster. And I thought, hey, these guys are national. They're at Sirius XM. They must be special. And so because of that, I wanted to be in the studio with them so I can learn from them. And I always have tried in this industry to be a student of the game. I am this business. I love this business more than just about everything. And I never not want to be in this business. And so when I was getting paid for 24 hours a week, I was there a lot longer than 24 hours a week. You're not just punching a time clock. I wanted to learn even before we went into studio. And that's kind of how things started. So I took the part-time job and I did a couple of minor odd jobs for a little bit on the side, one-offs here and there to make a little bit of extra spending cash. But soon enough, I was given a few more part-time hours. And for the first year and a half of my career, end of March, 2009 to end of August, 2010, I was part-time and I started working on the baseball channel, MLB Network Radio, running the audio board, becoming a part-time associate producer there. Sounds a lot like Nick's story, right? Interning at WFAN, going there, doing the board, meeting people there. Um, I am this business. That's a terrific line. Put on a t-shirt. We need to put on a t-shirt. We need to sell it. Uh, we'll give you royalties and everything. We'll credit you for everything, Fancy. So, uh, so walk us through, because uh, I was going to ask you about the process to get to Sirius. You already spoke about that. So let's walk us through the, the process of being there, working your way up, eventually becoming a producer, working on more important shows and stuff like that. Sure. So not only did I get hours working on running the audio board, and then I started producing on the weekends, because unfortunately, and fortunately, depending on the way you look at it, 
When I was hired, about seven other people with a little bit more experience who were also older than me were also hired. So even though I got hired as a board operator by SiriusXM, there were so many other part-timers there at the time who had more experience than me. So I had to kind of wait my turn until either they got somehow promoted on another channel or left for me to really get that board experience. And so I actually was sent to the sports newsroom and I got to learn about the importance of sound, not only how to cut it, not only what sounds best, because when I would cut highlights at Sirius XM and I loved cutting baseball games, it was so much fun. You know, you could keep in the ums and uhs or the dead time that's there, like when the Blue Jays would hit a home run and you'd hear the big horn. But I, again, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, so I liked cutting all of that out. Interviews, I would cut out the ums and uhs, which I think is very important when making a good soundbite that's going to be played nationally on these updates. So I took it very seriously, and that's where I met my first mentor, or rather I had a mentor when I was interning, but then I met my mentor, who I still have a great relationship with, who was running the sports newsroom at the time, and I got to help out in a lot of areas. He hooked me up with some extra hours, which was great. And because I had the relationship with him, while I was starting to work on MLB network radio shows, I also started to get to do other stuff. Like for instance, in your cars, if you don't have a SiriusXM subscription, you turn on channel zero or channel one, you hear the previews, you hear the sports schedule. I used to be the guy that would read the sports schedule. Astros Angels on Sirius 210 XM 175. Like I was that guy and I just got so much joy in doing that because my voice was being heard. I didn't say my name, but still my voice was being heard. And when my friends got a new car, they'd immediately hit me up with like a video or an audio sample being like, that's you. And it'd be great. So I got to learn a lot. And when I started, I continued to work my way and I let the program director of MLB Network Radio know that, look, I know there are no full-time jobs, but I'm a warrior. I'll do whatever it takes to be able to be successful here. You have a shift for me. I want to work on it. And that's the thing. You have to be willing to work beyond your means, beyond sometimes what you're getting paid for to really earn your spot in this industry. You've got to be a hard as hell worker. And look, I'm no George Clooney when you look at me right here, but at the same time, the one thing that's always been my bond is my tireless work ethic. And I love working hard and I love working in general. I really get a lot of joy. So I'm working my way up at MLB Network Radio, still no full-time job. And I find out in the spring of 2010 that Sirius XM is launching two new sports channels, a college sports channel and an all-sport fantasy sports channel. Completely blew my mind because I was also obsessed with playing fantasy sports. I was the guy that had 12 fantasy basketball teams in 2003. I played fantasy hockey, fantasy football, fantasy baseball as well. I loved everything about fantasy sports. I ran leagues for my high school friends and it was just so much fun. I started playing in 1999 at Small World. I don't know if anyone remembers Small World back in the day, but then soon enough it became a lot of Yahoo and ESPN and CBS NFL.com. So when I found out this channel was launching and my mentor told me about it, I begged him to get me an introduction to the program director who happened to be someone that we've all worked for here, Matt Deutsch. And Matt Deutsch now with BSN here, Matt Deutsch actually, you know, met me. We talked a little bit. He was located in New York, but the channel was going to be run pretty much out of DC for the most part. 
And the chant during pre-launch of Fantasy Sports Radio, I started to produce shows on random Sirius XM test channels to see if they generated an audience. And then launch week, I was producing shows. And there was a few month period where I was producing shows on MLB Network Radio and also producing on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio until finally I became the channel's first full-time hire at the end of August of 2010. And before you know it, I, I'm full-time and I have a Wednesday through Sunday schedule. And at the time, I couldn't be happier. Away you went. But you're behind the scenes. You always wanted to be on air. Nobody yes. gets into radio because they want to work behind the scenes. It's just a fact of life. So... Tell us about how you ended up really putting all your cards on the table, giving the station ultimatum, and ultimately allowing them to give you the opportunity to start doing some on-air work. So the good thing about Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio at the time, even when it first launched, they didn't really have a lot of basketball coverage. They didn't have a lot of analysts that did basketball if fantasy football, it drives the bus. It's the bee's knees. Everybody knows that. There, But everybody was doing football. A lot of other people were doing baseball. The industry was built because of rotisserie baseball, fantasy baseball. I mean, you guys interviewed Lenny Melnick. He was one of the catalysts of that. And because of the interest in bass in football and baseball, basketball really wasn't touched. And so I started to talk basketball on some of the shows that would allow me they'd interview me here and there and because of that I was able to land a writing job at this website that no longer exists called kffl.com then became usatoday.com when they merged so I got to do some writing so because I had that basketball interest all of a sudden the weekend shows especially Lenny Melnick's show would bring me on every Saturday and Sunday to start talking basketball. So I became the basketball guy and one of the lead basketball guys of the channel, despite being behind the scenes and a full-time producer. And in 2014, I pitched to Matt Deutsch because on Christmas day there at the time it was all basketball football wasn't on Christmas. So there had five nationally televised basketball games every single year. You guys all know it starts at noon and it goes all throughout the day. It's glorious. And they have some marquee matchups there as well. So in 2014, I pitched an idea where I'll work Christmas day, no problem. But from 11 a.m. to noon Eastern, can I have an hour just to talk basketball? We went back and forth. He said, yes, got my first opportunity. On, well, second opportunity on the air. The first one was a producer show that Matt agreed to on July 4th, 2012, but that was a baseball show that I led with the producers. And so that everybody knows how this goes. Sometimes you think that you get your one opportunity, boom, you're off just like that. I didn't get another opportunity until that Christmas show over a year and a half later. So opportunities you have to create for yourself after the NBA Christmas show, everybody loved it. Everyone was boasting about it. I didn't get another opportunity until Christmas 2015. So now I'm writing for Fantasy Alarm. You know, my job at KFFL ended. Fantasy Alarm picked me up. Jeff Manns, Howard Bender at the time, they picked me up. They let me do basketball content. So now I'm writing. So I'm establishing this other kind of character in a way that here's my coverage as well. I'm not just some dude talking basketball. And after the Christmas show that I hosted in 2016, 
I knew that there were some open hours on fantasy sports radio. And I pitched a one hour per week show on Saturday mornings to Matt went back and forth. Steve Cohen at Sirius XM approved of it, letting me do this, which was very rare because for the most part, how it works, producers produce hosts hosts. Now it's, if you are a producer that's very active on your show, you could definitely build that for me. I felt that I wanted to earn my airtime. I didn't want to just take over a show as a producer, pop my mic, and all of a sudden you have choppy audio because a radio show is supposed to have a flow. You want your audience to have a mental image of a wave, and you want that wave to be consistent so they can follow your overall game plan on a per-show basis. To me, guys, radio is more than just an art. It's a science. There are things that you could do, things that you can say that get people interested the way you say things, being firm with your opinions, being serious and backing them up, but being open enough where, hey, you disagree? Call in. Call me an idiot. Come on. This is your forum. And that's something that I've always really lived by because a lot of the hosts that I looked up to, that's how they also carried out their shows and they got a lot of interaction. So luckily for me, at the beginning of 2017 in January, I was given the one hour show, which eventually was, was supposed to be a one month trial run. I was given four shows and that's it. I was given a lot more than four shows after that and then was barely taken off the air. Now I'll say this, I wasn't paid for that show. There was something extra that I wanted to do, but it wasn't about getting the money at the time. It was about getting the opportunity, putting a tape together, getting experience behind the mic. It was a solo show. I did it myself. Sometimes I had to produce the show myself as well. Here I am running the audio boards and the faders while on the air. And you know what? I was willing to do it because I just wanted to be on the air. That's what it was all about. And still to this day, I just want to be with the audience. So from there, after a few years of doing this Saturday show, which was expanded in 2018 to two hours, you know, I wasn't really getting many other opportunities. I realized at the end of 2018, here I am now 31, about to turn 32. I've never really taken a risk in my career before. And you got to take a risk. You got to bet on yourself sometimes. You got to be able to say to yourself, you know, I'm right. You got to say that to yourself, like the podcast name. That's exactly what it is because you got to believe in yourself. You got to believe in your brand. And I knew at the time my production work was great. I was now the manager of fantasy sports radio. So I was the number three guy on the channel. I was still working very, very hard. I was making sure that all the other producers were comfortable. I was helping them become better. And when you do something like I'm about to tell you what I did, you have to make sure your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed because you don't want them to be able to identify something that's a weakness that prevents you from getting opportunities. Hard work always has a way of paying off and at the, you know, at the end of 2019 or in the middle of 2019, I went to Matt Deutsch. I went to the brass at Sirius XM and I said, look, I really want to be on the air. I don't really want to be an executive producer. That really, to me, didn't seem like I wanted to be my future, but I really wanted to be on the air. And in 2019, I started applying for on-air gigs. I applied for this gig in Florida, made it all the way down to the finals and lost to a local Floridian, which was a little unfortunate, but it gave me confidence though. Someone was actually 
liking me and taking an interest in me. And I said, if that's one person, maybe there's somebody else out there. So instead I went to Sirius XM and I said, look, I really don't want to produce anymore. I really don't want to be an executive producer. I want to be on air and I'm willing to work my way from the ground up, even if that means taking a pay cut in which I did. And they tried to at first convince me, well, you don't want to do that. I mean, how are you not going to work with a full-time salary? I had my side gig with Fantasy Alarm at the time as well. And so I took the risk, SiriusXM let me go from being a full-time manager to now a part-time contracted host. So when that was going on, okay, now I'm thinking I'm going to have one show a week, but thank goodness Fantasy Alarm, who I made aware that I was doing this because I was going to ask them if I can have some more work for them for a little bit more scratch, but they saw what I was doing and they had had airtime in the overnight previously that worked out very well. They wanted to get back to the overnight and that's when they just hired Adam Ronis full-time, I four-year broadcast partner. They had just hired him full-time. So between me and him, they felt that we'd make a very good team. We were both very passionate broadcasters. And so Fantasy Alarm bought in to my vision. They bought into me. They invested in me, which I was very appreciative of. They got the airtime, which was a Fantasy Alarm-based show. And off I went December 2019, besides now having a Sirius XM part-time hosting contract, now for Fantasy Alarm, I'm hosting Monday through Friday, midnight to 2 a.m. Eastern, and I loved it. Some people are like, really late at night. I relished it. I loved getting the first thing I did when I got that show, I created an email, an Alarm After Hours email account, because I wanted to be that in tune with my audience, because that's what it's about. It's not as much about the hosting aspect, which I love. It's getting to interact with people. I love talking with people. So I was able to start doing that in December of 2019 and off I went. Yeah. And I've, I've tuned into some of your shows. You always answered my comments, which was, was always, that makes the show my opinion, but you want to get crazy. Let's get crazy. He is the business. Justin, we always ask <laughs> our guests and you probably already answered here, but I think he did the answer if you want, but <laughs> we, our signature question here is what would you say in your life, your career is your, you know, um, right moment at the time or place where, you wanted to do something. You asked somebody for advice or maybe a boss. They said, no, or you can't do that. That's not going to work out. You're crazy. And you were like, you know what? I am the business. I'm going to do this anyway. And ultimately, you will see why it is that I'm right. I had a decent amount of critics. And these are people that weren't trying to be jerks or anything, but they were trying to be realistic with me. And a lot of people told me that Sirius XM is never going to put you on the air. You're a great producer. And I was a fantastic producer and was told that in a lot of my hosts that I worked with really appreciated what I did. And I really took my job as seriously as possible. And a lot of people were telling me they're just there. You're, you're a producer there and you do a great job. Why would they take like, why would they take, you know, a great starting pitcher who's like, you know what? I want to play the outfield now. I'm, in, I'm not Rick and Keel or anything like that, but why would they want to take someone who's so great at this job and not have them do it anymore? But I pushed and I went all in and you know, I'm right. I made it on the air at Sirius XM. And now for the last, it took me a little bit to shed that producer title. If you ask people still between 2019 and 2021. Oh, fancy. He's the producer, right? He produces shows. 
it took me a while to shed that producer title in the eyes of our audience, but I worked at it. I worked hard. I wanted to establish myself. I still continue learning to this day and I want to be the best host humanly possible. And I want my audience to know that they're getting my 110%. They're getting my all and they're getting a great overall experience. Yeah. Sometimes in this industry, if you do a particular thing too well, you kind of get pushed in that corner of he's so good at this. She's so good at that. Like that's all they could be. We don't want to go beyond that. But you broke through that glass ceiling. You grabbed the brass ring, just like in wrestling. You had to grab that brass ring. So let's talk a little wrestling here. I think you'd be a really good manager. Okay. So you got the hurt business. You got the the business here. But if you're going to be a manager, give me a faction. Give me, give me, you got to have at least one female wrestler and you can give me, you know, one to two, one or two guys here. What's your faction going to be? You're going to be the manager. You could do it. WWE wrestlers, NXT, AEW, your choice, wow. your stable. Wow. Well, I mean, I'd have to have a combination of probably, I mean, MJF, who I think is a fan, he's fantastic on the he's mic. He's a Long Island guy. He's oh, a Long I Island see, guy. I see yes. where this is going. Yep. So MJF is definitely in there. I think AJ Styles is an incredible performer. Yep, exactly there. I mean, if you're asking me what kind of manager I think I am, I think I'm more of a Paul Heyman type, except oh, yeah. I except I want to get a little bit more involved, kind of like Mr. Fuji, whether it was the cane or whether it was the salt that he throw in the eyes. So I, I'd like to be a more extreme Paul Heyman type, but definitely on the mic here, kind of like what he said, like, I want to put the Jew in jujitsu. I mean, I could see myself <laughs> saying something like that. So, and I kind of look like him too with the hairstyles. So, you know, I mean, for other wrestlers that would be in there, CM Punk, I love CM Punk. And then a female wrestler, I think Charlotte Flair is woo, the best of the best. I, I mean, there's- Greatest of all time, hands yes, down. It's not even close. I and disagree. She's great. You know, okay, that's fine. You're allowed to disagree. But I'll say this- You about know Charlotte she's great, Joe, but she's not your favorite one. Okay, Joe, who is your, not who's the greatest of all time? Miss Mercedes Monet. She's very good. She's Charlotte. Shout out to Mercedes Monet for sharing our Instagram story on her Instagram story. Big no, fan of the program. Absolutely. He actually great. commented on the post too, by the way. That's why I brought that up. <laughs> Big fan. Absolutely great. I mean, she's excellent, excellent performer. When they would give her the mic time at WWE, she would be fine. But I just the think Sasha Charlotte, Charlotte feud was the the, the apex of. of Women's wrestling. Oh, women's wrestling. And I love I love Becky Lynch too. And I think Britt Baker has come a long way in AEW. I remember when Britt Baker was an enhancement talent in WWE where What's she Britt Baker. She all she does now, she's doing mid-card matches versus jobbers on AEW. She's the best there is. She is the best. You know what? Def you know definitively what? the best there is. We need Britt Baker versus Jade Cargill. What are we waiting right. for here? Wow, that would be fun. No, that I would think be and, uh, you know, for anybody who's not a huge wrestling Agreed. fan, if you're a fan of Justin Listening, you probably are. What they're going to do, Justin, is I think, you know, Jade's gone now. She lost her TBS title. She's going to come back. She's going to become the champ, the main champ. And eventually they got to do Brit versus Jade. And maybe that's why, you know, Brit's playing second, third, fourth fiddle here because they want to keep her on the down low. I'll say this, though, about Tony Storm, who's the current champ. When they put her in the outcast, I didn't think her personality really fit what Ruby Soho and even Paige can bring that grunginess that the outcasts bring. But 
with the way now that she looks, with the way they kind of have her go out to the ring, even how her, how her hairstyle and her attitude, she's really grown into that character. And I think that she fits right into the group. So at first I was like, I don't see this working out. She doesn't seem like she'd fit in personality wise. She's worked at it and she's really become in tune with that group. But ultimately I think Charlotte Flair, and it's not only because she's Ric Flair's daughter, it's, if anything, her being Ric Flair's daughter, it puts a lot more pressure on her. This the daughter of one of the greatest, if not of most people would say greatest wrestler of all time, but her athleticism and the way she has her personality spinning out around the ring, it, it's absolutely incredible what she does. I mean, she really makes wrestling into an art and I just right. love everything about Charlotte Flair and she's awesome on the mic as well. Yeah. Even her cadence, it's not only about Terrific what performer says. overall. Right. It's how she says things too. She's just absolutely excellent. And like we're seeing Roman Reigns have the title for over a thousand days. She should have the title for over a thousand days. I mean, like she says, you know, she doesn't need an opportunity. She is the opportunity. And Joe, you'll agree. WWE, they dropped the ball. They had the biggest possible main event for WrestleMania they could have done. Where they could have done Charlotte versus Sasha versus Becky versus Bailey for the title. And they didn't. It's still in play. Well, maybe we'll say. I think Sasha needs to come back, Jeff. She's going to come back eventually. That's it. I want to ask you a question because uh, UBS opened a couple of years ago. I have yet to be there, but I've heard great things about the arena. I want to ask you in particular about events that you've attended because we had on Olympic gold medal uh, figure skater Scott Hamilton on with us last year. And to keep the long story short, it happened within 48 hours of last year's SummerSlam event in Nashville. And because Scott had an inside with the company, he ended up getting an extra ticket. So the original plan was he was going to take his son because his son is a huge hockey fan. Uh, hockey fan. He loves the Nashville Predators, huge wrestling fan, believe it or not. So the plan was for him to take his kid to his first wrestling event. Uh, thankfully, he was able to get me an extra ticket. I had purchased my ticket to Nashville before he actually had the ticket ready to go for me. So within 48 hours, I had gone to last year's SummerSlam event. And it was there that some of our clips went viral. So I had a video of Logan Paul doing the frog splash to the Miz through the table on the outside. Uh, I had a video of McAfee after his match because I sat, we sat two rows behind the commentary table. Wow. So that was an amazing event that we've gone to. I've gone to Wrestle, Nick and I have gone to WrestleManias. Justin, his nickname is there. Front Row Joe. He's always sitting right. Front Row on Monday Night Raw in his Unarm white shirt, getting his, getting his sign ripped up by Dominic Mysterio. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I gotta I gotta find the video for that. New um, NXT North American champion. champion. It was awesome. Uh what is your favorite some of your favorite things that you've been to your events? It, sports in general or just wrestling? You could do a little bit of both. Okay. I mean, so I know you went to the World Series games, but yep, so uh, I'll start, definitely wrestling and anything else that comes to sure. mind. I'll start with wrestling. So I was at Nitro, WCW Nitro oh. in 1998 when it was on Long Island. It was great. They did an extra hour because I guess they also had an hour on Tuesday as well. I got to see Goldberg, Spear, Chris Jericho. It was when Hulk Hogan was running for president and they did the whole Hulk Hogan running for president campaign thing. So I was there for that. I was also at the 2015 Royal Rumble, that which was in Philly, where they booed Ooh. the hell out of Roman Reigns when The Rock came out. 
and was lifting his hand. And they were rooting for Rusev to eliminate Roman Reigns because everybody in that building wanted Daniel Bryan, who we thought was going to retire, which, by the way, I was at that Raw in Washington, D.C., where, uh-oh, Daniel Bryan's got a major announcement. And he announced that he was coming back and everyone went ballistic. And then I went to the Royal Rumble in 2015 in Philadelphia. He comes out like number 10. And I'm like, this is amazing because there are 30 entrants in the Rumble. And he, this is amazing. He's number 10. He's going to give us a great show. And then Bray Wyatt eliminates him after like nine minutes. And the entire arena, Wachovia Center at the time, I believe it was, Everyone was just like, and just booing the rest of the Royal Rumble. As everybody was coming out, Rey Mysterio comes out. Everyone is booing the lights out of him. The Rock comes out. Everyone is booing as he's trying to put over Roman Reigns. And Philadelphia for you. Yeah, I was there for that. And then I was at SmackDown 1000 as well, which was cool being at, you know, a marquee. Because I remember the first SmackDown when The Rock and Triple H were fighting for the title and Triple H was the champ and The Rock was getting ready to do the people's elbow. But Shawn Michaels, who was the referee, super kicks him to the face. And I just, I remember watching that. I was like, no, no. Because I want, you know, everyone loved The Rock at the time. And now I'm at SmackDown 1000 watching Evolution come out. And it was just, and The Undertaker made a quick appearance, which was awesome. So those are some of the wrestling events I've been to. Now, other events, Mets games, for instance, besides the World Series game, I was at the a game in 2006. And that year, man, I thought that year they were destined to I win the there. World Series. Game I was at the game when they beat Mariano Rivera. And at the time, I hated the Yankees. I hated right. them with a the passion. Since I've become in the business, I denounced my hatred of any team to stop, to not be biased. So I remember when David Wright came up and he hit the ball to deep center over Johnny Damon's head. Paul LaDuca is running home with his hands in the air. And everybody at Shea Stadium was rocking. We wouldn't leave for a while. We were we just beat Mariano. Stadium's half filled with Yankee fans. That was easily maybe the best game I've ever been to in my life. Pretty cool. I would say the best WWE event I went to was Survivor Series at MSG. The, the Rock Rocks returns. Return. Yep. Nobody cares. We're all chanting for We Want Ryder. So then we wanted Zack Ryder. That was pretty cool. But I have a few notable events. Yeah, too. Joe, didn't you go to an event in DC, Battleground? I did. So I was going to mention the first mention was because you mentioned the Rumble that I went to the one in Madison Square Garden in 2008. And John everybody Cena. and everybody thought that number 30 was going to be Bobby Lashley. And when John Cena's music hit, I have never been, that is the loudest. And I, I've been to playoff games in that building, a lot of games. Uh, it was the loudest I've ever heard that building. The building was actually shaking. Like the floor was literally shaking because the place was going nuts. And yes, I went to Battleground in DC and I knew you were going to bring that up, Nick. So the DC connection, uh, my friends and I, we like uh, a few of them have phased out of wrestling at this point, but back uh, about five or six years ago, there was a certain group that I grew up with that really, really super got back into it. And we had made it our business that whenever the Roman Reigns versus Seth Rollins versus, at the time, Dean Ambrose, uh, whenever that Shield match was going to take place, we were going to be there no matter where it was. So thankfully, it was at Battleground in D.C., and that was an incredibly memorable event because it was the last event before, we'll say, the second brand split. Now we've had three separate brands. I was there for that as well, by the way. 
Right. But it was one of the, oh, the, the better pay-per-views that they've ever put on because they had notable matches, right? So you had the New Day and the Wyatt family. You had John Cena, and at the time it was Enzo and Cass in the club, and AJ Styles was one of the hottest things going. You had the debut of Bailey on the main roster, if you can right. remember that. And then the main event was the the triple threat match, and it was just it, it was such a great event to be to. But again, it was because of that match in particular, and it was DC. So Joe, uh, that ended with everybody holding Dean Ambrose up, right? When, yeah, I was at that event, and I had Crazy. some. I had some of the best seats that I had for a wrestling event. And I sat all the way up. Yeah, I was I was I like started. midway down, but I had a great view of the ring. And Dean Ambrose was my guy. I I mean, oh, Moxley now in right. AEW, but I, awesome. out of all the Shield guys, I was a Dean Ambrose guy, especially when they let him, you know, have the lunatic fringe, you know, run that. When they, they let him be himself, he was Yes, gorgeous. and when he cashed in and money in the bank wow. and won the title, I, I just remember was, going crazy one of the greatest. when I was watching one of the greatest moments in WWE history. Nick, believe it or not, Front Row Joe actually has humble beginnings. Humble beginnings. Everyone has to start somewhere, but Joe Spike Lee started in the 400s at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, I always I say I, I'm, I'm not that low. I'm not, I'm not like Joe, but I'll end the WWE discussion with this by saying, because you mentioned it, Joe, I miss Enzo and Cass. I miss Zack Ryder. I miss Damian Sandow. Maybe they can come back one day. And Alex Riley, he was tremendous as well. But Justin, this has been great. Thank you so much for your time. It's a great story. We're great to hear more about your background. And Joe, take it away. We've had a lot of fun. We'll have you on again soon down the line. We wish you the best. We'll continue following. Uh, anybody who's looking to get any type of fantasy content, uh, Justin doesn't specialize in one thing. He's very knowledgeable in everything, and he does a good job with everything. Uh, Justin, we thank you for your time again. We appreciate it. Uh, what we do here is, as a listener and a viewer, you know this, uh, we always give our guests the last word. So if there's anything else you would like to share or promote for yourself, by all means, go ahead. Thanks again for doing this. Well, thank you guys very much for having me. And I guess what I could say, going back to the career discussion, if you want to do something in life, your job, go after it, but go after it with full force and make sure that you're attacking it the right way, taking small steps to get there too. Rome's not built in a day. And if you want something, you keep fighting and fighting. And even though on the side, people might be chirping at you saying, hey, it's not going to happen. Don't let that get to you. You just keep fighting and fighting. And that's how it goes. And again, you can follow all my work at Fence D Sports on Twitter, Instagram, and you can follow my stuff at fantasyalarm.com. And you'll be able to hear me on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio as well. So guys, again, thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Thank you, Justin. And if you want some... Come get some. That's going to do it here for this episode of You Know I'm Right for our very special guest, Justin Fensterman. For my co-host, Joe Calvaries, I'm Nick Durst, and this has been You Know I'm Right.